Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Well, good afternoon. Uh, we're with Nathaniel Stinnett. Uh, he's founder uh, and executive director of the Environmental Voter Project. He was dubbed by Grist Magazine, one of my favorite, as a voting guru. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and hailed by the New York Times as a visionary. Well, well, maybe we'll get into what that means. But uh, Nathaniel and uh, Environmental Voter Project, uh, they have a mission to supercharge and activate the votes of all environmentalists in the United States, that's a big project. Welcome, Nathaniel. Thank you, thank you so much for having me, Mark, and I look forward to, uh, to chatting with you. Well, this is gonna be fun. Uh, you know, when I started looking into your organization, it, it, it caused me a little difficulty, I have to admit, Nathaniel, because I was expecting, you know, okay, vote for this uh, politician, vote for that, but that's not exactly what it's all about. Why don't we start uh, by you telling us a little bit about what the Environmental Voter Project does, uh, and, and then maybe elaborate a little bit. What got you involved there personally? Why did you found it? Yeah, so so first off, you're right. We, we do not do what a, a typical environmental nonprofit does. We don't endorse candidates. We don't lobby for particular policies. We don't even try to convince people to care more about climate or the environment. All we we do is find people who already care. We find already persuaded environmentalists and we turn them into better voters. A good way to think of the Environmental Voter Project is we are in the behavior changing business, not the mind changing or opinion changing business. We just try to make more environmental voters. And, and this is born out of my own personal frustration being involved with political campaigns where whether I was on a city council race or a US Senate race or anything in between, when you poll voters for any election and ask them what their top priorities are, there are very, very few people who list climate change or the environment as their top priority. Now, thankfully that's starting to change and we can get into that, but that underlying problem really, really frustrated me and it made me realize that if we expect politicians to lead on climate and lead on environmental issues, well, climate voters got to show up. We got to show up whenever there's an election because voters decide who becomes a politician and every politician goes where the votes are. So we just dedicated the Environmental Voter Project to that and only that, getting yeah. environmentalists to vote. Yeah. But, I mean, what drove you personally? I mean, you've got a, a degree from Yale and, and from Boston College Law School, uh, and you were practicing uh, law. Were you practicing environmental law? Or, I mean, what got you into this personally? Yeah, so I, I was practicing environmental and land use law, but uh, I always was in my free time, uh, either during leaves of absence of my, from my law firm or, or just at night advising political campaigns and running political campaigns. 
And I've always cared deeply about climate and environmental issues. Uh, I spent a lot of my, my summers on the coast of Maine and just fell in love with nature. And I, I always cared deeply about this issue and I've always been involved in politics. But the real turning point, the real turning point, Mark, was in 2014, leading up to the, the 2014 midterm elections, I was looking at some polling data and I saw that among all likely voters in 2014, only 1% listed climate change as their top priority. But if you looked at all registered voters, it was somewhere near 4 or 5%. And I started looking at more and more polls and I saw the same discrepancy and I said, holy moly, <laughs> what if... What if the environmental movement doesn't have a persuasion problem? We just have a turnout problem. Yeah. What if there are tens of millions of these environmentalists out there and we just need to get them off their butts to vote? Basically, you're looking at a supply and demand issue. And, and I think one of the words you used in some of your, uh, on your website was, uh, the, it's kind of, you focus on the motor, which is the voter and not the politicians, uh, who you observe, like you just said, they don't vote as much as they might. Well, that's kind of news to me. I thought environmentalists, and I consider myself one of them, were a bunch of rabid activists and voters. I, I kind of just thought they would be getting out and vote. I mean, why don't they? Yeah, well, first of all, you and me both, Mark. I, I was surprised by this just as much as you are, uh, in part because you're right. In many ways, environmentalists are activists, but they're activists in different ways. Up until recently, most people express themselves as environmentalists by changing how they get to work or changing what they eat or recycling or changing the, the way that they consume electricity or energy. It wasn't necessarily a political form of activism. It was more sort of in their personal everyday behavior. And to give you an idea of how big this turnout problem is, in the 2016 presidential elections, 69% of environmentalists voted. I mean, I'm sorry, 69% of registered voters voted, mm. but only 50% of environmentalists did. Mm. That's a huge, huge discrepancy. And then finally, to get to the, the other question you asked, why is this happening? Well, uh, you ask a really good question, Mark, but unfortunately, I don't know. It's really hard to measure why someone does not vote. And I'm happy to get into some of the details behind that because we know some things and we don't know other things. But the short answer is it's kind of a black box. We don't know why these people aren't voting. Well, tell, why, why, why aren't they voting? I mean, get, open the black box a bit for me, even if you're speculating. Okay. What, what are some of your best guesses? Yeah, so part of what's going on is merely a demographic correlation. So if you look at people who care deeply about climate change and the environment, they are more likely to be young, and younger people are worse voters. They are also more likely to be African-American or Latino, and those are two ethnic groups that, except in presidential elections, those two groups have lower turnout rates than the rest of the population. And, and this is relatively new, people who care deeply about climate and the environment are more likely to make less than $50,000 a year than more. And yes, those people are less likely to vote. So part of what's going on here is just a demographic correlation. But that's not everything. That's not the whole answer. Mm. Because the really weird thing, Mark, is if you isolate those groups, 
If you just look at young people, the ones who care about the environment vote less often than other young people. <laughs> or if you just look at <laughs> minorities, the ones who care about the environment vote less often than other ethnic minorities. And so something else is going on. And man, we have run dozens of surveys, we've done tons of tests, and it's almost impossible to figure out because it's, it's one of the hardest things in um, all of social science is figuring right. out why someone doesn't do something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but maybe, I mean, you touched on something that I think might be uh, an insight to an answer. I mean, a lot of the environmentalists, like ardent environmentalists that I know, they are so chock-a-block full of their actions and activities. Maybe they just, in the end, say, you know, I don't need to vote. I'm doing so much for the environment otherwise. I, I, that might be right. It's a very hard thing to prove, but I, my, my gut tells me you're right. And part of that is, to be totally honest, because of the fossil fuel industry. For, for decades now, the fossil fuel industry has made it seem like, they've made it seem like we're committing suicide, when in truth, it's a homicide, Mark. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not our fault. It's not because of our own personal behavior. It's because governments have subsidized a small set of companies to, to really destroy the planet. And uh, we, we've almost fallen for the trap. We, we, we have come to think of environmental action as, as being up to each of us personally and what we do in our daily lives at home. And if you care about a different issue, if you care about reproductive rights or you care about gun ownership, you take a completely different approach. I mean, if you care about gun rights, you vote like it's your job. You see it as inherently political. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a Canadian. I don't get the gun thing at all, man. I'm <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it, it, it truly is amazing. And I'm yeah. not, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that people who care about guns don't care about the environment. I just think it's a very, it's an interesting point of comparison because right. if you care deeply about guns in the United States right now, being a voter is of supreme importance to you. Right. Supreme importance. Whereas if you care about climate change or you care about the environment, at least not until recently, have you thought of politics as being important? Right. Well, you know, uh, you know, Nathaniel, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was reading and, and actually trying to honestly trying to figure out what you all do at, at your organization, mm -hmm. I thought, well, when I finally got it, to, you know, and I understood what you were doing, I said, wow, this is pretty damn sexy stuff. I mean, it's not going to seem pretty exciting to a lot of people. You're out there trying to figure out why people aren't voting and then try to stimulate their voting. Now, and then I, I started thinking about it. If you're not endorsing the best politicians on environment, which is probably a, a, a much easier way to excite people, I'm not saying it would make them vote, but certainly it's more exciting. How do you, how do you fire up the catalytic motivation that's often required for these kinds of social change uh, projects, I suppose? Yeah, so that's a great question. And you know what? I, I didn't expect us to be as successful as we are. <laughs> I, I, I honestly didn't. I mean, we're kind of like the data nerds of the environmental movement. I mean, we're, we're just a bunch of like behavioral scientists and data analytics people trying to sort of hack the system and, and, and change voter behavior. And it, I couldn't believe it. I mean, we're a very new organization and we already have 3,000 volunteers around the country who call and text and canvas these non-voting environmentalists for us. 
Wow. And I, I think what we've tapped into is a few things. One, it, you can't possibly underestimate how much Donald Trump has fired up the environmental movement. And so that, that's, that's one of the things that's going on. Okay. But two, you, you don't need to be a behavioral science expert to understand that if you're trying to change someone's behavior, you can't just talk to them every two or four years when there's a big election. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. You got to talk to them whenever there's an election, local, state, federal, even if it's for a dog catcher or a library trustee. <laughs> and I think that's what our volunteers are most excited about, that we are this, this full-time perpetual field campaign trying to grow the electorate. And, and they really love that. They love that, that, you know, two weeks after one election, we already have something else for them to do. And, and they feel very important and feel like they've got yeah. something to do during a very dark and helpless moment in time. It certainly is a dark uh, and seemingly hopeless time, certainly with the changes from the uh, Environmental Protection Agency rolling back regulations and and, and discovering all the, the nasties that the uh, fossil fuel industry has been perpetuating over the years. Let's talk about that uh, a little bit later. Uh, I want to take a break right now. We're with Nathaniel Stinnett. He's the founder and executive director of the Environmental Voter Project, uh, which is on a quest to get every last environmentalist in the United States to get out and vote. Just going to take a short break and listen to a slice of the Shazam, uh, and they're going to be singing Super Tuesday, quite apropos. Like you're waiting on the sympathy vote. Well, tomorrow's Super Tuesday, and the people on the news say that you're sagging in the polls. That's how it goes. Destiny's a evening gown. You're always running. bit of the Shazam singing Super Tuesday, which is coming up soon, so we're all looking forward to that, all the excitement, particularly on the Democrat side. Uh, we're with we're, we're back now with uh, Nathaniel Stinnett. He's the head of the Environmental Voter Project, uh, looking to create an army of super environmental voters, and what a great objective that is. Uh, Nathaniel, your organization says it targets non-voters uh, with environmental tendencies. Okay, so let's just hold that word in our mind, tendencies. Uh, to what extent do you think environmental issues are kind of a primary consideration amongst these voters? Uh, and maybe, and how are you going to be sure that, that their environmental views 
or if it's important at all, if their environmental views are going to make them sort of pull the, the correct lever? So that's a, that's a great question. And I'm glad you asked, Mark, because this is, this is integral to what we do and why we do it in our particular way. We don't just target people who kind of sort of care about climate or the environment. We really go after the tip of the spear. We only target people who our data analytics research tells us care so deeply about climate or the environment that it is literally their number one issue priority over all others. So these are our super, super environmentalists. Now to get to the second part of your question, does that mean we know who they're gonna vote for? No, no it doesn't. That's secret, nobody ever knows who anybody votes for. But what we do know is that politicians spend all their time polling people to figure out what issues they care about. But they only poll voters, not non-voters, but voters. So if we get people whose number one priority is climate change to get off the sidelines and start voting, well, politicians are gonna follow because nothing, nothing motivates a politician more than the prospect of winning or losing an election. Sure. I, but one of the, one of the questions I want to ask you is like, um, do you think that there are enough environmental voters to actually swing an election one way or another? I know that the extinction rebellion in uh, the UK, we had a podcast with Gail Bradbrook, the, the co-founder of Extinction Rebellion. She said, you know, 3.8%, that's all you have to convince. 3.8% of the electorate to, uh, to have a sort of a tipping point of change for a specific thought or idea. And of course, theirs is climate change. Do you think that there's some kind of tipping point with, that could be caused by getting all these super environmentalists out voting? So yes, absolutely. Now, obviously, in the political realm, it's a little different than in the broader societal realm, which is what Extinction Rebellion is looking at. Because especially in the United States, we have things that warp the efficiency of our political marketplace, right? We have gerrymandering. We have the Senate versus the Congress and things like that. And we have, you know, Citizens United money and things like that. But, I mean, the Environmental Voter Project just did a poll that showed that 14% of registered voters in the United States now care so deeply about climate and the environment that it is their number one priority over all others. So that means there are 28 million potential climate voters. But here's the thing. The problem is that at least 10 million of them, and maybe as many as 15 million, are unlikely to vote. They are un unlikely to show up. And that is a huge, huge number. If we, if we can even get a tenth of them off the sidelines, that could change everything. I mean, right. in 2016, the election was decided by 77,000 votes. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. And we're talking about 15 million non-voting environmentalists. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, yeah. one, of the, one of the things I've seen, you know, everybody knows I'm Canadian, but, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of uh, American presidential politics, particularly. I mean, we were up late last night watching the New Hampshire 
uh, vote, um, which were very interesting, by the way. We'll talk a little bit about Super Tuesday coming up because this is going to be important. But, you know, the last election cycle, you talk about uh, presidential election, so you talk about 77,000 votes. I mean, this was the whole Ralph Nader syndrome all over again, but this time with the Green Party and the, the independent fellow, I forgot his name, uh, and they basically, uh, you take their votes out of the equation, and Hillary is president. Uh, so, as, I mean, are we setting ourselves up for some kind of uh, potential, you know, inflammation of Green Party? And then having that, that, you know, sort of third party thing ruin, you know, the Democrats' chance. So it, it is absolutely something worth thinking about and asking about and talking about. But it's also the kind of thing that you're never going to be able to get a, a, a good, hard answer on. Because obviously, we're not just looking at this along one axis or sort of in one dimension. And that is everybody who votes needs to decide between all the people on the ballot. Because there's another very, very important dimension, Mark, and that is who bothers to show up to vote. And so you're obviously right that independent candidates and third party candidates got a, a enough votes that it was larger than the margin of victory in certain states. But maybe those people never would have left their houses if they only had two people to choose from. And so I, I think you're absolutely right to worry that third parties can often uh, be difference makers and, and in a bad way <laughs> in certain presidential elections in the United yeah. States. Yeah. But, but, I mean, Climate voters and environmental voters, uh, it is so, I mean, there is such an enormous amount of latent political power that even if half of them showed up and they wrote their dog's name in on the ballot, <laughs> it, it would still change everything. It would still change everything. I mean, mm. politicians go where the votes are. They go where the votes are. Yeah, absolutely. And so, kind of a last question. In you know, Super Tuesday is coming up, and we'll publish this. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna produce prior to that, so it's gonna come out. So it'll be a relevant question. Are you making? Have you seen anything in the primaries that gives you heart or makes you happy relative to your uh, your organization's mission? See, I didn't so, ask you. I didn't ask you to back a candidate. You see, that took me. That took, <laughs> that took me a lot of. I had to suppress that. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> you, you can tell you're a professional. You've you've really practiced this. This Mark. yeah. yeah uh, I, I desperately want to ask you, but we'll just leave it. We'll we'll leave it aside for uh, now. <laughs> it, yes, I, I see a lot that's very heartening uh, because not only in pre-election polls, both. In in Iowa and New Hampshire, and also now in Nevada and South Carolina, are we seeing that voters are listing climate as one of their top priorities, but also in exit polling data, we're seeing that, both out of Iowa and New Hampshire. And so there is certainly in the Democratic primary, which is obviously different from what we'll see next November in the general, but certainly in the Democratic primary, the number of climate voters showing up to vote is three, four, maybe five times as large as what we saw four years ago. And that is tremendously heartening. That is really, really, really good news. Because I know I keep on coming back to this, but it's, it's crucially important, Mark. Most of us at a very deep level are cynical about politics. 
we say, you know what, politicians will do whatever it takes to win. And yes, yes, that's right. And so we need to take our cynicism one step further and admit to ourselves that if politicians will do whatever it takes to win, then voting isn't unimportant. Voting is the only thing that's important. And if, if climate voters flood the polls, politicians will have no choice but to follow or else they don't get to be politicians anymore. Well, well, I certainly hope that is the case. So what, what's your call to action? What, what, would, what would you say for uh, listeners of the podcast? What can they do? What should they do? Besides just the obvious, which is vote. Well, it, you're right that it's obvious, but let's, let's drive that obvious point home, Mark, okay? <laughs> you don't get to say that you care about climate. You don't get to say that you care about the environment and stay home on election day. I'm sorry, you just don't anymore. Real environmentalists vote, and this is the year that you need to vote like it's your job. Now, <laughs> beyond that, what can they do? Well, they could, they could certainly go to our website, environmentalvoter.org, and you could sign up to volunteer. We can help you text or call or canvas non-voting environmentalists around the country in a completely nonpartisan way. You don't need to show for a particular candidate. But what we promise that you'll be doing is you'll be using the, behavior, the, the, the best tested messaging that we know dramatically increases these people's likelihood of voting. And so we would love to have people go to environmentalvoter.org and volunteer for us. And then the final thing I'll say is be loud and proud <laughs> about the fact that you're voting because human beings are social animals and we take cues from our friends and neighbors and people on Facebook and if, if you're very public about the fact that you're voting, it makes your friends more likely to vote too. Yeah, that's great. Listen, uh, really, thanks a lot for, uh, thanks a lot, Nathaniel, for coming and explaining uh, the very important work you do and, uh, and best of luck to you. Well, thank you, Mark, and thank you for everything you're doing with this great podcast. Uh, we've been talking with Nathaniel Stinnett. Uh, he's the founder of the Environmental a voter project, uh, which is uh, on a mission to get all environmentalists in the United States to get out and vote. You can follow Nathaniel's insights on Twitter at N-C-S-T-I-N-N, or you can follow uh, Environmental Project, its voter project itself at Enviro underscore voter, uh, or check out their website, as Nathaniel just mentioned, at environmentalvoter.org. Thanks again. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out The Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world. <laughs>